Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Connecting to the big show. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. It's all right, I'm here. I'm here just sorting something out. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's one of those days. Uh, slept it out a little bit this morning. Um, so I'm a small bit behind in myself. So bear with me now for a minute while I get myself settled in here. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96, the number. Text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots to do and I'll tell you more about it as we go through. We got some nice messages yesterday. We were chatting about customer service and the, the top 10 brands with regard to customer service of which the credit union was way out in front and pharmacies did really well and Specsavers did really well and Smith's Toys did really well. We were asking you about your particular favourites in terms of customer service. You know, people have gone above and beyond for you and do it all the time. We got a few nice ones in and I'll read them during the morning. We got a couple of voice notes as well that I'll play. Uh, If you have any more that you want to share with us, we keep it going. Anyone in Cork, particularly a Cork business, family business, small business, but really any business, any Cork person in a bar, person in a hotel person in a shop who's been particularly good who went above and beyond the call. Do you know the kind of thing, the little gesture that they didn't have to do but they did. Do you know? It's like a couple of months ago well it's much earlier in the year now, we had a woman on the on the phone her little girl has autism and loves flowers and she ran into a flower shop and Mammy was terrified that she'd do wreck in the flower shop and the lady behind the counter just said let her off she's fine let her grand. go around let her sniff the flowers pick up the flowers that kind of thing it's a lovely theme to bring through our week and keep that going alright anyone who's been really nice to you anywhere 
0818969696 or text to WhatsApp 083 396 I'm laughing too. This is apropos of absolutely nothing now. I was chatting about this last night with my brother and, and this whole crack with Spurs and Liverpool and the goal and the VAR and, and all the crap. I really, as a, as a rugby fan, I'm thinking, do you know what we should do, us rugby people, is we should teach those idiots to actually work a TMO, to actually figure out how it works. The, the most ridiculous thing I ever saw, the, the, the faffing around and the fluting around, we're trying to decide whether that ball was offside or not. It was so funny. It really was. And, and as a sports supporter, I suppose it kind of <laughs> it benefited my team, but there again, still a bit of a mess. Anyway, plenty of that and others to come. Yesterday morning, Michael told me about this incident involving a bus driver on Saturday afternoon down on McCorton Street, where the level of abuse directed at this young bus driver was just above and beyond. It was just utterly ridiculous. It was misogynist. It was racist. It was sexist. It was every kind of ist you could possibly think of. And all because this young driver had pulled in to where she was perfectly entitled to pull in to park her bus. Michael takes up the story here. It shook me because nobody should have to put up with that abuse that bus driver had to endure. A private minibus uh, was neither parked in or out of the bus stop. The bus approached, alerted the minibus that it was there. And the group of gentlemen that got out of same said minibus, effed and blinded, uh, swore, had plenty to say to this lone bus driver, swore at her, drew reference to her nationality, her sex, it, these were these were grown men. Just PJ. because these she asked bodies. them to move their car, they were illegally occupying a bus stop. The lady in question was driving a large bus with passengers disembarking, having to mind them, having to mind her passengers, having to mind pedestrians and 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 people in and around the area, and having her job made more difficult for her by bodies that shouldn't have been there. They turned on her. They essentially, look, they held her captive because she's in her bus. She has nowhere to go. She can close the door, yeah, but a, 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 a crowd of hollering belligerents outside that door uh, swearing at her. And we're, we're, we're talking stuff that you wouldn't hear out of dockers uh, in, in their most ribald moments. These were fully grown gentlemen with an awful lot to say, very angry individuals, um, that really put that lady a, in a desperate, desperate state after the event. Wow. I w- was trying, of course, to get across. Um, as you know, the, the roadworks here in McCartan Street are a little bit up in the air. With the barriers, it took a while to get over to her. When I did eventually get over to her, she was distraught. She was uh, in floods of tears. I learned from her that this is not a once-off occurrence. This is a daily occurrence. She gets abused in her job providing a service. She gets abused in her job on a daily basis. And she is at that stage where she wants to quit. Goodness me. Did they move the car? The driver put his hands up from the the little minibus and shirked it off and eventually pulled out. 
the lads continued off up the road. They they walked up, continued off McCarthy Street, walked up York Hill or York Street, should I say. And the, 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 the most angry of them, a man my age, he had a lot to say. I mean, he was a terribly, terribly angry individual and just just totally inappropriate. It doesn't do anyone good to have that level of venom. And this or... was misogynistic. It was referring to her nationality. Was she a woman of colour? She was. She, yeah, absolutely. No, it was she, I, I believe she was Spanish. I would know the lady. Uh, I'd actually have seen her on the on the on the routes. I'd take my my two o seven, my two o eight. I take my buses up to wherever else I have to go. I can see the abuse. It's not good for people's health. It's not good. I mean, this this is a is a person that's that's doing her job. Yeah, it's her career. It's her job. It's her livelihood. If there's a family involved, she has to pay her bills like the rest of us. She has to do all her bits and pieces. But to come up with this in this day and age, from people that from grown men that should know better shame on them shame on the least that they could do is own up and turn around and talk directly to that lady and offer her an apology it's the very least they could do there's no chance of that happening I would suggest it was a city link bus Uh, Francis Cahill is their regional manager in this part of the world Francis you also wrote to us And I quote, you reached out in the last resort that this issue will be taken seriously before someone gets hurt. How is that young lady who was driving one of your buses at the weekend? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and many thanks for um, responding to my email. As I said, it was it was just where I just said, well, look, I've got to do something about this after, um, you know, the instance that happened in question. The driver, thankfully, is, um, you know, she's doing a lot better and... The fact that this is being taken serious, um, the guards are investigating this. We are fully supporting her. Um, we've moved her on to a different route now. Um, you know, she did suggest maybe that this was something she didn't want to do anymore. But this driver in question has been on the Cork route for so long. She knows the passengers. Um, you know, it's familiarity, continuity. You mm-hmm. get to know the same faces all the time. So I suppose for the last 12 months, it's been extremely challenging uh, for our drivers in terms of the move on to from Patrick's Key on to Coburg Street. Mm. There was lack of communication. <clears throat> Sorry, we were, I suppose we, we worked with the council the best we could. Yeah, let's, let's go through it from the start, Francis, because traditionally your bus picked people up and set them down on Patrick's Key, and it was all grand, everything was working fine, it was all tickety-boo. Then this new plan comes into effect. Take it up from there. So it happened, I think, May last year, we were informed that this was going to be the process. We were going to be moved into a bay up on McCurtain Street, and we'd be sharing it with a couple of other operators. I went up to look at the street, and I was thinking to myself, this is not going to work. Even when we looked at it, there was people pulling into it, it's a narrow enough street uh, with trucks and buses and cars. and But this was the only alternative we had. Um, we asked to kind of be moved back down onto Patrick's Key as the work was being ongoing. No, that wasn't going to happen. So look, like it or lump, but we had to go up to McCurtain Street. And, it, you know, we, we ran into trouble with people pulling into the bays. And then the abuse started for drivers. You know, people were pulling in and we were trying to get in. We were blocking streets and people were getting angry at us. Um, so it was starting to become a vicious cycle. I, I'd say I have an email once a month or once every two weeks to the council going, we can't continue like this. This is causing 
delays in our timetable. It's causing passenger frustration. And, you know, drivers are now starting to say, well, look, I don't want to do the Cork route anymore. You know, it's just a ripple effect Mm. across the board. Because at one point you had to do a big loop, didn't you, to get from one place to another. And it was put in something like 20 minutes on, on the journey. Um, when they asked us to move to, this it baffles me now. So we were moved to Coburg Street, but they only opened half the street. So mm-hmm. if you're coming in from Cork Airport, that's fine. You can pull in there. If you're coming from Limerick, you have to go and do a loop around to come back up to Coburg Street and then go back down again if you want to go to the airport, which adds the extra 25, 30 minutes. And, you know, but it's just because there's a port cabin on the other side of the street. And then we discover that's not going to be moved now till November. Now, I wouldn't be holding my breath on that. Yeah. Um, they did the roadworks on that hill going up just onto McCurtain Street so we couldn't even swing a bus around and I believe there was one day there the barriers were in the way the bus couldn't get in because someone had parked on the corner a car and fair play to the passengers waiting they all walked over and picked up the barriers and moved them for the driver <laughs> you know um, then two weeks ago we got a call to say that we on Monday we can operate on Coburg Street Tuesday we can operate on McCurtain Street Wednesday we can operate on Coburg Street and Thursday we can operate McCurtain Street and then we'd be back to normal how do you relay that message to the travelling public that you know, is we, ridiculous so yeah. it, it, for, for a passenger it's guess where the bus is going to be today Oh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a where's Wally situation um, on those two streets. And the poor driver, he'd pull in and then he'd have to run back up to McCurtain Street to see if there any passengers there and bring them down. This is the way it was going. I I, I was just kind of going, this is a fire. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm just let me paint a sketch of that for you. So for listeners, what you've just told me is, so the bus pulls into Coburg Street. The driver has to get out and toddle up to McCurtain Street to see if other people are waiting up there for where they think the bus is going to be and then bring them down to Coburg yeah. Oh, So God. he would have a manifest that shows the number of passengers and he might go, right, I have whatever, 20, I'm only after loading 10. Where are these other 10? So, you know, they used their initiative and thought, right, better walk up to McCurtain Street and see it there. Um, and he'd see them all standing there and he'd walk them all back down to the bus. It was, it was just comical. Um, it was not... It was embarrassing, it was frustration, it caused delays, you know, but it was just, we are where we are with it. And we went back down three weeks ago to look at the situation again, because when drivers start saying they don't want to do the route, um, and that we've seen an increase in the abuse coming at the past, you know, particularly on Coburg Street, it's a free-for-all um, where they pull in there. And, uh, you know, we have to find a solution. And we've pleaded and pleaded and pleaded to the point where I've had to go to a number of councillors, I've had to go as high up in the city hall. Like the question was starting to be touted: Do we pull the whole Cork service out? Good um, You know, Why? Cork Airport. We spoke to them, and they're getting a lot of passengers in from the Limerick region and Galway region using the airport. You know, so we found ourselves in a rock and a hard place. And this is no reflection to the people in Cork. Who Francis? How many passengers are you pushing through Cork in an average week or month? So between our, our South City Link and GoBus, because we obviously have the seconds, yeah. and they're lucky enough, they're uh, positioned well where they are in, in um, their stop. We'd be moving between the two of them anywhere between eight to 10,000 passengers a week. Crikey. And I've and used your service to be, be and, and, and the Dublin service. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, com- compliment, we, compliments on it, like. Well, yeah. thank you. And I mean, it's a significant investment. They're a brand new fleet. There's a lot of investment gone in. We want to expand our services in Cork. We want to add more services. We need to. The demand is there. You know, every Friday and Saturday and Sunday in particular here, people from Galway going to Cork and Cork coming to Galway. We have to put on extra buses, extra capacity. So the demand is there. Mm. But we're, we're 
trying, we're banging our heads off a rock here and I'm kind of going, well, we could put in another eight return services a day, but why would I invest more money into a route at the moment that's, um, it's operational issues, it's commercial viability, it's lack of support from the council in relation to doing this. It's fallen on deaf ears and as I said, we went down, we looked at an alternative stop be it on um, Patrick's Key there further back with some other operators where we wouldn't cross over with their timetable. And it was like, no, nah, that's not going to be an mm. option. And you know the situation that arose on Saturday? And look, let's be very clear here. The only people responsible for the abuse of your bus driver are the people who abused her, and shame on them. But the situation, as you describe it to me, isn't helping. No, it's all, I guess everyone is frustrated. It's, you know, traffic situations. Um, we're based here in Galway. We have the same situations. Every city has it, and it's just something we have to go with. But, you know, to take it out on someone who's just doing their job is disgusting. And these are, I believe, we're grown men who maybe employers, fathers, brothers, sisters, whichever, would they like that done to them or any of their family? I just, I don't know if there's a different mentality out there now that some people view other people as they're entitled to be abusive towards. Um, you know, we're encouraging more female drivers. There's a lot more females coming in as bus drivers. And I, I often question if, if that was a man, would they have done that now? Or, you know, what would they have done? They just I think the answer is they absolutely would not, Francis. Exactly. You know, and it's just a disgrace to see that, you know, she went through this. And she loves the Cork route. She loves doing the Goylemer Cork route. And the people, she knows so many of these students. She meets students that, you know, hit their first day in college and graduated an hour in employment. That's really? how long. Yeah. You know, so she gets to know these people. Yeah. And the same, we have a couple of drivers based out of Cork there. And, you know, they know the lay of the land. They know all the little quick ways of getting out of the city and how to bypass the traffic and everything. And But, you know, we're so apologetic to the people in Cork for putting up with us, blocking up streets, um, just to try and get what we can do. And uh, But as I said, it's not a reflection on it. And it's something we're saying, look, you know, we have a great service in Cork. Mm-hmm. We have to find a solution to this. Whether Cork City finally need to, Cork City Council need to listen and take on board, you know, the operator's issues. Well, at a time, Francis, when we have a government encouraging us and government policy locally and nationally encouraging us to use more public transport, here you are, okay, a private service, but offering, offering incredible connect connectivity, and sure you can't even get a proper base in which to get your passengers on and off. It makes no sense. No, and I mean, from our perspective, we just launched a brand new service, Castlebar Tune to Dublin, and Mayo County Council couldn't have been more helpful in helping us get this up and running. We're running six data return services, massive investment. We're about to launch another eight services for our Clifton Sky because, you know, rural connectivity is important to us. We're reviewing every one of our routes and... Goy Limerick Cork is one that's at the top of the agenda. Where we go with this, our Cork to Dublin is going to get more services added in. So we're putting in a significant investment. We're not funded by the government. We're a complete private operator. But, you know, we know that the passengers are our priority, their safety, as well as our drivers. And do you know what, as Einstein said, the definition of insanity. And sometimes I feel that's what's going on. Every time I have to send an email to Cork, I send them the photographs. You know, I asked, is there a warden around? And I don't know, is he a mythical creature at this point? But no one seems to see him. Do you even get um, a response to your emails to City Hall? 
Um, I eventually got a response when I went as high as I could. When, you know, it did come down to, we were in a situation where we had to get something regarding approval and time was running out and I had no choice but to go as high as I could to get an, a response. Um, did you go to Anne Doherty's office, did you? The which, sorry? The, the chief executive's office. Yeah, I had to go all the way up there and advise that, look, we're in a situation that, from a licensing perspective, we don't get the approval for this street, we're in breach, and uh, eventually I got it, and but it, it took months to get it. Mm. And but given that we can't even say which street we're operating on, because they're like, oh well, you know, you can drop off in McCurtain or drop off in Coburg. We're trying to do what's best for the passenger and the people of Cork City, and that's our priority. Oh, and we'll challenge Cork City Council all the way we can. Well, but we you've come to us. You've come to us, and as you say, and I quote, I quote your email. You, you've said it's your last resort in the hope the issue will be taken seriously. Take the floor, Francis Cahill. They listen over there. They bang their head off the wall at me probably five days a week. Tell them what you want. So I suppose we just want uh, a solution to this. Uh, A location that we can bring people in and out of Cork that's safe, um, that there's no risk of abuse for drivers or passengers, that doesn't impact the flow of the city. Proper consultation with us. We have worked with them for the last 12, 14 months in fairness. We have abided by everything they've asked. And we were told different dates. So I am pleading that we find a proper stop location, a drop-off that we can bring people in and out of Cork, students, workers, everything. We want to invest in our services on this particular route. But at the moment, it isn't going to happen until a solution is found. And, if you know, I did know that this would escalate at some point that someone is going to get either hurt or very, very badly um, verbally assaulted. And it's now come to it. You've already had one driver reassigned because of the abuse she was getting. And she's the only female driver on that route. And, um, you know, it's just whatever else. I'll back our drivers 100% and fight the corner. None of our drivers are going to experience anything like that. We have zero tolerance. We have just absolutely no way would anyone get onto a bus, a passenger, if we thought for a second they would disrupt people's journeys. And you've made a complaint, just in case any of those beauties who were out there Saturday afternoon abusing this young person, you've made a complaint to the Gardaí. They have been reported. Yeah, the driver has made uh, the official complaint to the Gardaí and I, I'm really hoping that they will either just use this as an example. I get that sometimes we see everything is Dublin-based, you know, drivers up there and, and Irish Rail and Bus Air and, and there are colleagues in this industry and we know that they experience this abuse, but it isn't just Dublin-based. Um, it happens in all of the cities, not to the same degree, I'll grant it, but we're entitled to kind of the same support and okay. acknowledgement. I'm hoping that if this does go in front of a judge that he will use this as an example. Okay. All right, Francis, good to speak with you and thank you for reaching out to us. Uh, and happy to give you the platform this morning. Francis Cahill, Regional Manager of CityLink. After one of her drivers, the only female driver on that particular route, had to be reassigned after being viciously abused, taunted, shouted at, cursed at and terrified on Saturday afternoon by a bunch of so-called men who'd parked their car on McCurtain Street in the bus bay and all she did all she did was ask them to move their car beauties aren't they join the conversation this is the opinion line with hidden hearing focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years they're all ears visit hiddenhearing.ie Cox 96 FM
Yeah, I've used that bus service twice in the last maybe 18 months. Once was to a, a rugby match and the other was to an Ed Sheeran gig. Because it's too blasted expensive to stay in Dublin, you get the late bus back down again. A great service. Absolutely fabulous service. Kate, you were thinking about this. Good morning to you. Hi. Um, I think it's time to have somebody on the bus to support the driver. Do you remember before you had the conductor and the bus driver? I do. Yeah. I, do. Um, I just think it's time to have a marshal. I also think it's time for a camera. And I don't care about civil liberties groups or anything. I think it's time for the person to have an actual camera. I think there are that's CCTVs it, on most of the buses now. Yeah. yeah, but just, just to get... The, these guys need to be... I don't know whether anybody photographed them. I'm just wondering, because if somebody has, it would be great. Yeah. Well, she hasn't made a formal different. complaint and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. One, one assumes they're picked up own. somewhere on, on, on video. Yeah, but you know, the actual bus service is fantastic. And what um, Cork Council don't realise is that the amount of people that's bringing in to Cork for, you know, for study, for business, for mm. everything... And they're, they're spending the money here. Well, you heard what Francis said, that that driver is so familiar with that route. She knows the students, and some of the students yeah. started as first years. Yes, And yeah. she saw them write well, up their final exams. And to be abused in the street like that, on a, yeah, oh. they're telling me here there are cameras on the bus, but most okay. of this happened outside the bus. Outside the bus. But I just think there has to be something, even, even if there's something on the dashboard that shows outside the bus. Do you know what I'm getting at? I do indeed. I think something, some protection has to be brought in because this is a disgrace. And by the way, stop giving them the run around and give them somewhere to park their bus because they're doing a fantastic service. They're bringing uh, 8,000. My God, the amount of people are bringing in and out of court and it's a fantastic service. Yes. And it's a, a, a service people can afford. Absolutely. Very affordable, yeah. very efficient, very much on time. Yeah. And you get a late bus because Dublin is such an absolute scandalous rip-off to stay yeah. in now. You mm-hmm. get a late bus home when it's grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kate. 0818-969696. And, and that's something else that Ian Rodheron could look at. Uh, the last train... I know they're changing their timetables and stuff at the moment. The last train down at night... Um, is nine o'clock. It's, it's okay. It's not too bad. But uh, with the with the, with the crazy price of hotels in Dublin, if you could scarper out of Dublin after a concert or after a match or something, if you could scarper out on a train at eleven, to be handy. Do you know? Just just throwing it out there for for what it's worth. But these buses run till till all hours of the morning, which is fabulous. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six. 96. Now, primary school... I don't know, did you find it cold this morning? Now, look, I'm a strange creature. I'm still in my shorts on the 4th of October. And and for me, this is... It's autumnal weather. It's not exactly weather for going around with my top off or anything like that. But it's it's grand. It suits me fine. I put a hoodie on in the evening when it gets a bit cold. And that's grand. But did you notice it was any bit colder this morning? Because... People certainly here in this building were complaining that they, they felt it cold for the first time this autumn. And I read in the paper that primary school principals have warned they mightn't have enough funds to get them through a cold winter in terms of heating. Well, that's a bit scary. The National Principals Forum did a survey and more than 7 out of 10 of the principals they asked were worried they wouldn't have enough money for essential operations like heating. 
Seamus O'Connor is part of the National Principals Forum and a principal at Skullvridge. Seamus, it's, I mean, winter hasn't even started yet and people don't know if they'll be able to heat the school through the winter. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? And thanks for having me on. I suppose as a, as a simple background there, the National Principals Forum, about 1,200 principals a year contribute to our um, surveys, our snapshot surveys. There's 13 of us that basically since 2018 do these surveys about four to five times a year and then advocate on behalf of the schools, both positively and negatively after that. So on this occasion, we just asked principals what were the major concerns at this point of the year. And firstly, from a positive perspective, a lot of parents or a lot of principals reflected in the survey that with the free book scheme in particular this summer that took huge pressure off parents and it was deeply appreciated because it means that look you know you didn't have the angst of of supporting parents around books and uniforms and so forth this summer and that was greatly appreciated but I suppose the the other side to that is while the the government have obviously acknowledged and supported families this year in relation to that the schools uh, need to be adequately supported as well now this time last year we spoke in relation to the cost of prices sorry the cost of living crisis affecting schools and our energy bills are, are, are doubled. I mean, I have Irish water. Like, you know, most households households don't have an Irish water bill. We have massive Irish water bills on top of it, considering we're a state well, building. School, schools have to pay for water. We have paved to pay water as well. Considering we're a state building, it's, import, it's, it's important to point out that realistically... We shouldn't have to pay these. It should be covered by the state, but it's not. It comes out of our capitation. So you've... I, you've um, and, and in my school alone, PJ from an insurance perspective and, and it's not about paying, saying you know kind of playing the, the poor mouth it's genuinely just to say where it's come from this time last year my insurance bill for the school was 19,000 euro this current year it's going to be 26,500 euro so like when you consider that yeah, and I take it you that, haven't had claims no we haven't had claims but like I suppose every every school in Ireland has been reassessed by Allianz over the last number of years so every school in Ireland has had these hikes be it this year last year or, or next year so and we all to be clear we're all bound to 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 to, to work with one provider that's Allianz okay so there's a lot of log- kind of logistical things around schools that aren't openly known in the public and I think when people hear look as you know I'm quite tangible and we're we're the first I'm the first to say that you know schools don't get everything right 100% you know I've no issue with that but you know in relation to this I mean in 2013 PISA, um, PISA there was a PISA survey in relation to world literacy levels and at that point, Ireland had descended, you know, down to middle categories mm-hmm. of, of performance. And this year in 2023, we've come out now top both in Europe and in the world. So the point is that schools have put their shoulders to the wheel in yeah. relation to the educational value and the educational side of it. And as you know, we've discussed previously how we are becoming more open and supportive in relation to children with additional needs. And here in my own school, we have six special classes and we're very proud of that, the largest set up in Ireland. But the point is we can't do our educational work if, if particular principals are under the pressure of, um, let's say, the cost of living. Now, there was well, simple basics here, Seamus. It's very hard hard to teach children in a cold classroom. It is, and it's it's not exaggerated. I know there was a whole discussion, and we discussed before that you know the the ventilation process around COVID and so forth, and that was that was an issue at that time. But now we're at a point where, as you know, energy prices. If you look at the cost of diesel and petrol, even over the last three months, over the summer they were one fifty to one sixty. Now they've gone close to one ninety again. So we have an equivalent cost rise here. However, we haven't been mar- that has not been married to a rise in our capitation grant. Now our capitation grant is less than a euro per child. Per 
per week, per day. Um, we did get a cost of living um, in the last budget um, grant, but it was called a one-off grant, and that did take an element of pressure off. But 37% of my colleagues said that that still didn't take pressure enough off in, in their in their environments, you know. So what I would say first, in the first instance, I would call for that, that cost of living grant to be given to the schools again this coming year <laughs> with a view to a review of the overarching um, capital spend that is given to schools, you know. Yeah. And, and it's even harder for special schools to cope. It is. That, yeah. You, you, like, there are, again, you'd consider that considering we're a state buildings that if if in special schools you needed particular training in relation to manual handling or safety lifting or, you know, things like that. All of that training comes out of our capitation grant. We don't actually get that paid for. It's the same in my school here with children with additional needs. So we would have certain trainings that would be required and they're not given, you know. Um, so, you know, we, we do work hard as a volunt- you know, on a voluntary basis to do the best we can for our schools and our children. But at times it's very difficult. And look, in special sc- look, I, I'll give you another simple example, PJ. You know the way we have bus escorts and transport yeah. in schools. Um, so obviously our bus escorts we pay on a weekly basis and without them we'd be lost, okay? Now what happens is we pay, here in this school, we pay from September to June, we pay their wages and then we claim it back in June. Now imagine if we could get half of that in advance and half of it in June. You know, that I know it's an element of, of bookkeeping and anybody who's involved in, in running businesses and so forth know that it is about cash flow for want of a better phrase but for to expect to pay nine people's wages for an entire year and then claim it back in the end you know it's a bit archaic it's a bit you know 19 1920s or something you yeah. know but realistically considering the service those bus those the bus escorts provide if we got a grant at the start of the year and then we got the second grant at the end of the year just to you know alleviate that pressure but you can imagine if you have um you know you, you've obviously got tax bills that you pay monthly as well for those individuals so you've that and then, if you know, you've your oil and gas bills on top of it. So, look, every school is trying very hard and working with SEAI to, to, to we'll say, do um, power hours where they've shut down things and so yeah. on and so forth. But you don't want a power hour for your electricity, sorry, for your, your heating. You don't. No, no you but don't. But it is the no, most expensive part. It is, heating is the most expensive part of a school's budget. It is more than, than light, you know. It is. It, it's very expensive. And, you know, again, as I said, we, we, are, we are entitled to procurement processes and so forth. But look, it can be difficult at times to, to, to get to that in the middle of your day-to-day uh, indeed, dealing. Indeed. So, I think two, thing, th- two things okay? people would have learned this morning, Seamus, will be, first of all, the water bill in the school yeah. isn't covered by the state. That's covered. Yeah. You have to pay for that. No, the other thing we have is to pay it. And, and the insurance is quite exorbitant. As it monopolised. Like the water... The Irish water bills that schools get are exorbitant. They are beyond what you would expect. Now, they are equivalent to what businesses have. And I accept that people who run private businesses have Irish have water bills. I accept that. But equally, we are a state building, you know. <laughs> Do you understand? It's, it's not like, you know, we're... Yeah, we're we're not using the water to support our our our, our clients, etc. We're we're supporting children. Indeed, indeed. And the insurance, yeah. you can't even shop around yeah. for your insurance. No, no, we're bound to work with one insurance company under under um, the diocese, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. There's, there's, you could have a whole show on that discussion, but at this time, the sim- in simple layman's terms, we are not allowed to shop around insurance-wise. We have one insurance provider. That's ridiculous. Seamus, thank you very much. We'll talk again throughout the course of the year. Seamus O'Connor, Principal of Skullvridia and a member of the National Principals Forum. And even before we've had the first frosty morning, schools are worried School principals like Seamus and his colleagues are worried that they'll be able to heat the classroom.
for the children this winter. Did you know that they had to pay a water bill for the school? I didn't know that until today. Did you know that it isn't picked up by the state, even though they're a state-run operation? I didn't know that until today. Mike says Cork City Council has always been against business. They don't take into account how things work in practice. When they're told that, they just ignore it. Uh, Caller was listening to Francis talking about what happened to the bus driver, and she's talking an awful lot of sense. There's a problem, though, in today's world, that whatever you do, nobody will pull you up on it. And there are people out there who will do what they like and not take any heed of the hurt they cause. They may even revel in the power of it. We need people pulled up and corrected more often. Leave them in bold, lads, when you drop them in, Ashley. It's easy for me to read them. It was a bad day when schools dropped their guard on disciplines, this message. Religious institutions didn't produce the kind of anti-social behaviour we're talking about this morning. They may have done some wrong, but we threw a lot of good things away when we moved on from them. And there's not enough talked about that. I think what that caller is saying is discipline is gone. Discipline is no longer something you learn in school. Uh, I think there's an amount to be said for that. There's a nastiness. I just throw this out there for what it's worth. There's a nastiness in society now. And an anger out there. And yeah, we're all angry with the state of the nation and we're all angry with the cost of living and we're all angry about this, that and the other. But we're getting angry with each other over nothing. Absolutely nothing. People are flying off the handle with one another over nothing. You know, that guy or those men were parked in a bus stop on Saturday afternoon and a perfectly legitimate request from a young bus driver, could you please move your car and let me get my bus in and let me do my job, met with that kind of abuse and nastiness and misogyny. God knows what else. That's a sign that something's broken out there. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'd like your thoughts. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks ninety six FM. The big drive home with Izzy Showbizzy. On Cork's 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 pm for more incredibly cute voice notes. I'll keep you company no matter what you're doing. Is he house recording or is there any chance you can play the new song Fred for all the lads at Buckley Bros? Thank you. And I'll take more show ideas, please, especially if they include my puppy. I have a great idea for a show. If you want in Sassy, we can get a Simpsons vibe going on. The Izzy and Sassy show. Get it? Join me weekdays from 4 pm. The Big Drive Home. With Clown Kilty Food Company. Be prepared for any mealtime with Clown Kilty's delicious sausages, rashes, and puddings. Clown Kilty, a family of great tastes. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. I mentioned this yesterday. The Pope, Pope Francis, has suggested that there might be a way, might be a way to bless same sex unions, same sex couples. It would never be marriage in the church because only. A man and woman can receive the sacrament of matrimony. That's church teaching. So it can only apply as a blessing of some kind. But look, he, he, he seems to be thinking about changing things, which makes him a first in terms of popes 
for a while. Anyway, um, he's written to some cardinals who didn't want any change uh, and told them, oh, well, maybe we can change it. Um, the Vatican holds that marriage is indissoluble between man and woman, uh, but maybe there's a way to bless two men and bless two women, women which is nice to see the Pope thinking like that. Um, he has a big following, uh, particularly among young people. I mean, what age is he now, 104? He has a big, big uh, following, though, among, among young people. And people go to meet him at the Vatican. And she wasn't she there herself the other day, a break from training from whatever marathon it is. Brenda Dennehy, good morning. Did you get <laughs> Hi, a, PJ. Did you get a selfie with him? I didn't get a selfie, no, but I was practically on top of the Pope Mobile with him. I was that close. Right. And did was it always something you wanted to do to go to St Peter's and see the Pope? Well, I had heard people like saying they did it, but I thought it was going to be so awkward. Like I thought you'd apply for tickets like within months, years out. But what happened to me was I was going to Rome. I was going to do the Vatican Basilica tour. And then I was at work and a guy sat across from me. Of course, he heard, overheard me saying it. And he said, you know, if you're there on a Wednesday, you can go see him. And sure, of course, my eyes lit up, Googling mad. How do I go see the Pope? Found an email address. I emailed about it. Then they emailed me back, giving me tickets. Then I had to go and collect the tickets at a certain place the day before. And sure, there I was this day last week, this exact time last week, standing up in a chair with a load of other people roaring for Pope Francis. Standing on a chair? They were, PJ, I'm telling you now, it was like I was at a Coldplay concert last year and Westlife and it was something of the sort. The atmosphere <laughs> and everything. There and would, I'm not joking, you know, there was nuns in front of me from Kenya. They were beautiful women now. They were up in the chairs and they had like their, their, their rig out. Like they, their, I just know, their nun clothes, would you say? Their, habits, the habits, term. habits, yes, habits, habits, yes. So they had them on and they, they were blocking my view. I couldn't see because of the nuns. They wanted to get to see. But I honestly, I was taking, I'd take pictures of them. And were you the youngest in the, the place by 20 years? No. Jesus, no, Peach. There were people, there was like 12-year-olds there. There was like from 12-year-olds to 92-year-olds. No right. joke. And he comes along it in the was, Pope Mobile and gives a little wave. Yeah, I was told where to go by the side because the Pope Mobile came down there. So go at the corner. So... I came early anyway, and sure, all the good seats, of course, were taken. But I got my own little corner anyway, and you could kind of see him coming down, all right, in the portmobile. But I didn't think I'd get that close. Not, I didn't think he'd come our way. But by God, then he came around the corner, and I swear I was roaring Francis, and as if I knew him, like. And then everyone was like, Papa, I think we're calling him Papa, Papa. I, I was in it with him. It was like, honest to God, no, it was like... It was just like a concert or something. Everyone was roaring, shouting the excitement for him. And like, I genuinely mean it. The excitement for them was yeah. something else. It was like they were, it was a massive day for everyone. Like there was people from all over the world. There was an awful lot of people from Mexico there because obviously they call out countries. Yeah. And there was big cheers for Mexico, big cheers obviously from Argentina, yeah. America, all over the world. There were people there to see him. I met... um when I was going in the night before, I met two lovely women from New Jersey and they were Italian-Americans and they couldn't wait to see him. But they actually slept out the next day and actually missed him. <laughs> and it's, a, it's years now since I was there. I was in St. Peter's Square, maybe in, in, in the 80s. You don't realise, do you, Brenda, how huge it is unless you're standing there. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely massive. And I'm not sure, I think there must have been 50,000 people there. 
And this is just your average Wednesday. I know there's a big ceremony now going on today as well. I saw that in television earlier. But mm. like there, and this is just the papal audience. This wasn't even like mass or anything like that. But it was absolutely jammers. It really was. Now. And the excitement, people roaring and screaming for him. Like it was wild. I, I know you will go back for the selfie. If I know you at all, you'll go back for the selfie. I... I'll give it a lash again and be there maybe a few hours earlier and be in the queue and try and get up to the very top or something like that, all right? Good, maybe good, even good. try and get in for a prayer or something like that. But it was, yeah, and it was a great experience. And obviously I'm Catholic and all that and I would have my faith. I don't go to Mass every week, yeah. but at the end of the day, I'd have my faith, you know, so it was actually really nice to go mm. and it was really nice to see people my own age, younger than me as well, excited to be there and yeah. see it. You, you, were, you were solo travelling. I know you've done a bit of that now. I you was, like it. I absolutely adore PJ. I would advise anyone to do it. It is the most amazing thing ever. Like, you'll get yourself in circumstances that you will never, like, get yourself into when you're with people, which is great. You're pushed out of your comfort zone. I meet all these people. Would I have gone? If there was someone with me, would I have gone? They probably wouldn't want to go, and that would stop me from going. Whereas uh-huh. I have my own agenda. I have my own itinerary. I do what I want. Get up at what hour of the morning I want. Go to bed at what hour of the night I want. And just do whatever I want. And I had a ball, and I can't wait to head away again and do it. How was Italy in general? Were you there for long? Just a week, was it? I was there for, yeah, five days. It was fabulous. The weather was amazing. I've been to Italy a few times. It's my first time in Rome, but it was amazing. Where's next on the agenda, Brenda? Uh, PJ, I'll have to mention it is the New York Marathon. Now I'm going to New York now at the end of the month for the marathon. Oh, is it that close? Tomorrow, one month. Yeah, well, I'm going on the 31st. I'm going on the 31st of October. I'm going to be there for Halloween. And the marathon is the 5th of November, which is a month tomorrow. We'll have to talk. We'll have to talk because I know the training is flying and people can watch it on your Instagram. Uh, TV producer based in the UK and one half of the very successful Selling Out the Opera House Left on Red podcast, Brenda Dennehy, and of course, formerly of this Parish. Good luck, Brenda. Talk to you soon, and we'll talk at the marathon. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM. Definitely catch up with our Brenda when she heads over to the New York Marathon in early November, which is only a few weeks away now. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text or WhatsApp. So Eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six, and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie We don't normally do birthday requests on the programme not all the time but then you get some special ones sent in to you and, and, and you kind of you kind of do have to do them when they come in like this this is for twin sisters Julia and Eileen Fitzpatrick they have a roundy birthday today 70 years old, 70 years young, 70 years of Julia and Eileen Fitzpatrick. And lots of love from Cathy and Margot and Donna and Paddy and six grandchildren. Please play a nice song for that request. Thank you so much. Well, a roundy birthday greeting to Julia and Eileen Fitzpatrick, 70 today. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text or WhatsApp 083 396. 96, 96, and the email is opinion at 96 of M. 
i.e. Um, on the driver and what that young woman was subjected to on Saturday afternoon down in McCourton Street, which is being investigated by the guards and hopefully they'll be able to bring the law crashing down on the heads of those people who abused those young women, a young a, a young woman in the middle of the street for no good reason. Morning, PJ. Us bus errand drivers have to deal with that kind of abuse too. People of Cork have no consideration for buses. They constantly park in the bus stops. It's notorious in Douglas. There is one bus stop in Douglas, all right. It's the one there opposite. It's there where... It's opposite Barry's, isn't it? That bus stop there, opposite Barry's. Yeah, you see an awful lot of people just dumping a car down in that. It's notorious. When we ask them to move, they get aggressive. Or they use this stupid excuse like, I'll only be a minute... Or I'm just getting my takeaway. Or I'm just using the ATM. Yeah, I know. PJ, enjoying your show, listening to City Link. Uh, the story just summarises how incompetent they are over at City Hall. That's from Paul in Cove. 0818 96 96 96. And on the school's insurance, um, Seamus just told us there before 10 that for the public liability and building and other such insurance, schools have to just use the one company. They can't shop around. Which I didn't know that until today. I'm sure a lot of people listening didn't know that until today. Someone makes the point here surely, surely having to use one insurance company is against competition laws. You'd think, wouldn't you? All right, we're back with the Menopause Summit today. We're with them all this week. The National Menopause Summit takes place later this month, Friday, October 20th, which is two weeks this Friday down at City Hall. It's to mark World Menopause Awareness Month. We're partnering with them for the week. You get tickets and more details of the summit at nationalmenopausesummit.com. But we, all this week, are celebrating fabulous women. And there's a little prize in it for you, if you can tell me who they are. So here's another fabulous woman. Who is this? Most people are born into a society where nothing else is available to them except crime. So that, it has to be addressed at that level. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I'm struggling with that one myself. I had no trouble yesterday or I had no trouble Monday. But I'm struggling a little bit with that one today. Most people are born into a society where nothing else is available to them except crime. So that, it has to be addressed at that level. There you go. Her name and yours, please, if you recognise her, to 083-396-9696. Little prize in it for you. Now, if you were booking a flight to go somewhere, going to Malaga, going to Alicante, going to London, going to Glasgow, going to Paris, going to Amsterdam, what would be the first thing you do? You jump on your most familiar website, you jump on Aer Lingus, you jump on Ryanair, because you're fairly certain to get a flight either out of Cork or even if you have to out of Dublin or Shannon, you get a flight and it's not overly expensive, you would hope. Dermot, you want to advise us that there are better ways and other ways to get where we're going. Morning. Yes, morning. Um, well, I spent quite a bit of time, a few good few years down in Malaga uh, for all sorts of reasons. And uh, normally I drive from Ireland down to Malaga with an Irish car. And for all sorts of technical reasons, it was more easy for me to return by air, aircraft right. most of the time. Uh, or sometimes I once, once took a bus from, direct from Malaga all the way to Ireland. Really? It does exist. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it exists. <laughs> it's a bit of a journey, I can tell you. But, 
It's the eight-hour stopover in London that's the problem. Um, but I was involved in um, going to other parts of Europe, Belgium, uh, various other parts for or Norway, whatever, for technical reasons. Often just a quick fly to Norway and uh, a week later come back sort of stuff. Um, I generally found that um, Malaga is a very, very um, important hub in Europe. It's not a holiday hub, as people think, you know, yeah. for the art. We think it's just as a tourist zone. It's not. It's, it's becoming one of the most major hub, hubs in Europe. Um, there are lots of airplanes flying all sorts of ways. And I found that one of the best ways was to get an Iberian airline. Um, you stop a, you, you get a commuter plane to Madrid and then you get a, uh, so nobody's carrying any baggage. You just get on the airplane and off you go. And then you go to Ireland from Madrid an hour later. Um, that, there and back from Ireland, I think over a period of five days or something, I can't remember why, um, it cost me 100 euros going Iberia Airways. The same flight, if I booked it from Ireland, would have cost me 400. What? So, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just that for whatever reason, the Iberian Airlines seem to think the Irish should pay more. <laughs> I don't know why. So there, there's all sorts of angles, but generally you type in where you want to go and then you look at all the options, whether it's Ryanair or whether it's Aer Lingus or whether it's uh, maybe uh, a two-stop uh, operation going through Madrid uh, or something like that. And you, you, you get the flight to be and or jet to something, all these different options. Mm-hmm. And um, I found in general, although there's lots of people online who say, oh, I pitched up at the airport and the ticket was no use, et cetera. I never had problems. It always worked for me. So... There are a lot of people who will now go to London and book mm-hmm. from Cork through London through wherever they want to go because going directly from Cork, the prices are, are, are much more expensive. So you're saying Madrid, Madrid, London, Cork is an option for people? That could be. Um, sometimes I've done three hops. Um, I might go uh, Rome and then Rome, uh, London and then London, Ireland and it would be a very cheap flight. I like landing and taking off, uh, so it's enjoyable for me. Now, for other people, being maybe six hours in the air to get yeah. to where you want to go could be cumbersome, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I'm just saying that there there are many alternatives. But um, the problem at Malaga in general is that the commuter planes, best as I can see, because there's a lot of people commuting literally every day to Madrid and back for work, Yes, um, they get priority. Everything else is tourism, and they can take a back seat. <laughs> yeah, shop around, shop around, like, and be aware that there are many other ways to get from A to B. You might have to go via C, but you'll save money. Oh yeah, I mean, let's put it away a hundred a hundred euros return to Ireland and back. You know, I mean, how can you complain? <laughs> you can't, you can't. I do know someone who who lives in in Lanzarote and would tell you that getting home to Cork don't come the direct flight. Yeah, well, that's another option. Um, I mean, from here, from Dublin, you, from, there are more flights from Dublin, so you you can always uh, catch this airport bus up to uh, yeah. up to Dublin. I mean, many of the time I got a fifty euro flight from Dublin, and I'm sure the same thing would have cost me two hundred from uh, Cork. So just now, remind me of that, that that thing they did a hundred quid return. What was that route again? Uh, that's Malaga, uh, Madrid, Madrid International, and then you go um, direct to Dublin. Um, 
and it's it's a daytime flight yeah. going there. You wouldn't, now, be, you wouldn't, want, back, to be, you wouldn't be, want to be slapping a few kids and some suitcases on you for that one, though, would you? Uh, no, because it's a commuter airplane. Um, although, mind you, the box I took had two racing bicycles in it, so it was a big box, and I was surprised I managed to get it onto such a small airplane. But then the taking into account... Yeah that 90% or maybe 100% of the other passengers were just commuting to Madrid. Yeah, And we and know you just ha- it, it doesn't take a rocket science to find out that like going Cork Malaga compared to going London Malaga, London Malaga is so much cheaper. That's practically a commuter run, London Malaga. And, and like, we have clearly been, been fleeced getting from Ireland to Malaga. Yes, yes. But unfortunately, 14 airlines are in bust in the last six months, so it's getting trickier, yeah. I will say. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is Stansted's a nightmare. Uh, I passed through that a few times going from Ireland to Norway and back again. I mean, it was for nothing. I think it was like 60 quid return. Yeah. Um, the It was... Um, but I have friends in Norway, so I have reasons to go. <laughs> um, they, um, Stansted, you actually have to go out the airport. You can't connect... Even though it's a Ryanair airplane, you have That's to go right. out of the airport and then back into the airport. And check in again. You can't go straight through. And check in again through. and security and the whole rigmarole. Had that experience a few years ago going to a rugby match. You go Cork, uh, yeah. Ryan, Cork to Stansted and the other flight, wherever we were going, was also a Ryanair flight. And I thought, right, put everything through. Oh, no, you got to check out and check back in again. It's a pain in the, pain in the back. Yeah, well, yeah. This was, and, they, and nowadays, because Britain is now outside of the um, Schengen area or whatever it is, uh, although that's another problem, Malaga going into Malaga, our, Ireland's not Schengen, so sometimes you be, can be trapped for an hour inside these buildings before you get to the passport control. I, I think it's, I think because Ireland's not in Schengen when uh, Spanish are coming to Ireland, they resent the fact that they've got to go through all this rigmarole. And there is so, a rigmarole. There is a and then rigmarole. what happens is um, that makes the um, Spanish say, OK, you, you, you messed us up, so we'll mess you up. <laughs> Come here, dear man, very lastly and quickly, you said about coming on the bus from Malaga. Yeah. How yes. did you do that? What, what class of a route was that? You just go to the bus stop in Malaga and say, I want to go to um, to Ireland, and they give you a ticket. At this. I think it's 200 quid. It's not cheap, but I was trying to set up a company with somebody that would run direct buses from Ireland to Malaga because there's so many Irish down there. It's just now a colony of Ireland. Um, but we couldn't get the permission. And what's, the, what's the route? It's um, You go basically all the way through France, uh, Madrid, then up to France, uh, and then you go uh, to London, and then you go London to Ireland. Right. It's all, it's all, you're changing buses about four or five times with some weights in between. That's but it's a, that, interesting. It, yeah, a, a fabulous way to see the countryside, I would imagine. Um, really nice, but a solo traveller job or just two people with nothing to do but get from A to B and not in a hurry. Jeremy, thank you. Is there any, anyone has found cheaper ways? to get where we want to be. Do drop us a WhatsApp at 083-396-9696. In one way, you'll see, you have seen it in the paper, Airtel is being done away with after nearly 40 years. I have great memories of Airtel. Back in the day, we'd have Airtel on in the newsroom and not for the actual purpose for which Airtel was, was checking news and checking sport and checking stuff like that. We, we were used to watch the last minute holidays and we'd literally bring, you'd bring a bag to work, a small suitcase to work. And you'd say, right, I'm going away for the weekend. I'm going to, 
going to go to Spain for a week. <laughs> and you could literally come in and you'd see the deal coming up on Airtel at nine o'clock in the morning. And if you could be at the airport at five that evening, you'd get a week in Spain for a hundred quid. That was great crack. That's what we used to use Airtel for. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Airtel, what's Airtel, PJ? I know, I know, I know. They're doing away with it. It's finishing up next October twelfth or next week, October twelfth. It will be missed. I haven't used it since nineteen hundred and frozen to death, but it will be missed. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six. Now we have this big fancy new prison up the road from us here, Cork Prison. Spent they spent millions on it, big and fancy and state of the art and all of that. But there are people sleeping on the floor of their cell. In September, just September 29th, figures released on September 29th by the prison service, ten prisoners are sleeping on mattresses on the floor of their cells while they are sharing that cell with two other people who have a bed. Now, you might initially think, well, tough. Prison is supposed to be hard. You didn't go there for a holiday. And when you're lying on the floor on your mattress, think about the person whose bag you robbed or whose house you damaged or whose car you stole. And maybe that'll be the... That'll, you know, <laughs> teach you not to do it again. There's more to it than that, though, isn't there? Saoirse Brady is Executive Director of the Irish Penal Reform Trust. And you believe, Saoirse, don't you, that in 2023, nobody should be sleeping on a mattress on a cell floor. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. And yes, that's exactly what we believe in the Irish Penal Reform Trust. And actually, you quoted the figures there from last Friday. And I just had a look this morning. They have today's figures up. And there are even more people um, in the prison today than there were last Friday. So I imagine if they didn't have beds last week for 10 people, then the additional people may also be sleeping on the floor. Now, I don't have that confirmed, but that's, you know, that's what I would imagine. Mm. Um, You know, last Friday, they were already full. They were at 102% capacity. This morning, it's 104%. So even since yesterday, there's an extra five people in there. So it is, it's really worrying. And I know you said, you know, about people going to prison, it isn't meant to be easy. Of course not. But at the same time, when people go to prison, prison is the punishment. The, you know, the deprivation of their liberty is the punishment. Um, and, you know, it, the conditions that people live in, nobody should be living in uh, inhuman and degrading Uh, conditions like we're hearing about you know Mm -hmm. we saw a report from the inspector of prisons last week um well it was a letter actually that he he had written to the minister for justice um concerned about people in clover hill who were sleeping um beside uh unpartitioned toilets you know and and while thankfully we're not in a situation where people have to slop out you know Mm -hmm. use a bucket and slop it out in the morning but people do still have to use the toilet in front of their cellmate. Um, and that is something that, that is concerning, you know. And when you talked about some of the offences that people might be in for, you know, there are other ways to deal with this. Mm. You know, well, the, just, the just on that one, Sish, before than, I know that you yep. believe that prison should be a last resort. And, and I promise you, I will, come yes. to, I will come to that. But, but you know, I, I, 
I opened the phone lines here a couple of years ago just for people to talk about the things that were done to them mm-hmm. by the inhabitants at the time, shall we say, of various prisons up and down the country. And I don't think that someone whose handbag is stolen, during which she has her shoulder dislocated for 12 quid, I don't think she cares or her loved ones care about the person who stole her bag having to sleep on a mattress. They don't care because in their mind, well, that's what you did and that's how you pay for it. Yes, and, you know, I think we have to think about victims and all of this as well and, and what it means to them. But I suppose the other part of it is I was in Mountjoy last year and I spoke with people who were in for a very long time. And one of them made a really valuable point to me around restorative justice. So restorative justice is where the person who is a victim of a crime sits down, you know, consensually with the person who committed that crime. And you talk it out and you talk about why that person did it and you get to tell them how that made you feel. And, you know, that person who was in for a a long-term sentence said to me, you know, I think that would be much more healing for everybody involved. Um, I'm not saying that they wouldn't still go to prison, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, he felt like they might get more resolution from that. So restorative justice practices are something that we should be exploring more because I think it, it is important. You know, we see that with victim impact statements, people being able to tell their side of the story. And I think that would be really powerful to be able for people to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not taking away from, from the victims at all in this, but I suppose in the Irish Penal Reform Trust, we don't really concentrate on the crime that was committed. We concentrate on what happens to people after that. And, you know, um, Punishment is one element of why people go to prison, but there are other elements as well. So rehabilitation is meant to be one of those. But what we would say is, if you look at the statistics, the number of people who are in prison on, you know, for less serious offences, um, who, you know, who um, have committed something that they're convicted for, for a sentence of less than 12 months, we would question whether sending them to prison is the right thing to do. You know, mm. we have government policy now that talks about reducing the number of people um, who go to prison on sentences of 12 months or less. And a lot of those might be women as well. We see that particularly women are sentenced for short custodial sentences. But ultimately, what we have to do is think about why people are committing these crimes in the first place. We know that our prisons are full of people who have mental health issues, who have addiction issues, um, who, you know, may have faced poverty and that is not an excuse for anything that people have done but we need to get to the root cause of why this is happening in the first place and are there better ways so IPRT for example we have the budget coming up next week we are calling for the government to invest five million more in the probation service so that people could still they will still be sentenced but Mm. they could carry out their sentence in the community that's a benefit to um, that person themselves, the individual, because they would have the supports in place, hopefully, um, to help them serve that sentence in the community to their family, because very often, um, you know, the children and partners of people who are sent to prison, they, you know, they're, they're, they are sentenced as well in a way. Um, mm. And then as well as that community, we know that people who serve sentences in the community are much less likely to reoffend. You know, because really? when they walk out the prison gates, yes, that, that is what the international evidence shows. Because when a person walks out the gates of prison, say they've been in for three months, and we've heard this from people who've been in, men and women, they walk out the gates, 
they don't know which way to turn because the supports aren't there for them. Right. So they, you know, where do they go? They go, you know, if they have no other choice, they go to a homeless hostel. They go um, maybe back to stay with friends that, you know, they had been involved with before. They might drop back into addiction. Mm. You know, all of these things. Are they more likely to reoffend? Yes, they are more likely to reoffend okay. if they don't have th- those supports. And the other thing I would say is for the taxpayer, there is a benefit because a prison space costs over 80 grand a year, over 80,000 euro annually, because, you know, that's the prison space. That- One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The the staff costs that go along with that, Mm. all of that. Community supervision or a probation order um, is, is in the region of 6,000 so a year. Saoirse, so, if I was to put it to you in terms of crimes, the kind of crimes yes. for which you believe a jail term should be the last resort, like you say, three, six, three months, six months, eight months, mm-hmm. the kind of crimes that attract those sentences, what would you not jail people for? Um, I suppose that, that's a tricky one. I'm not a judge, so I'm, you know, but I suppose what we are hearing about are people who are shoplifting, um, you know, who are stealing perhaps because um, they are homeless, they have nowhere to go. There are people in dire poverty or in the the deepest despairs, but their mental health. And I think we should be looking at putting in place supports. Over 10 years ago, IPRT did um, public polling on the on on people with addiction and mental health um issues and said do you think and, and this was with members of the public do you think that um people with mental health or addiction issues that prison is the right place for them and they said no overwhelmingly no it was like 80 90 percent of people said no and i think we've come a long way in terms of understanding mental health and addiction issues um even in the last 10 years. So we would love to to do, you know, repeat that polling to see what people think now. Okay. But I think we really need to think about why people are doing this in the first place. You know, we still have people going to prison for fines and there yeah. was law enacted. Um, you know, we do have a legislation that allows judges to give community um, sanctions, 
community-based sanctions, so probation or serving community service, which also has a, a financial benefit to the community as well. Um, and they're not using them. And what we, we're hearing is this is happening all across Europe. So there's actually research being done at the moment to try and find out why judges aren't using the community sanctions, because that would help alleviate prison overcrowding. You wouldn't have people sleeping on, on prison floor. And the government actually issued a policy last August um, and they put it in, in that policy um, that they would consider putting um, prison uh, imprisonment as a last resort in legislation, in law, and that they would look at um, what could be done to ensure that people, that less people or fewer people were sentenced for 12 months or less. And that would really help alleviate the pressure. It would cost less as well. Um, and it would, you know, it would benefit I, I, you know, it would benefit the individual, their family yeah. and the community as a whole. It would be a safer place. So I think we really need to start looking at this using um, our investments in, in a, a much yeah. smarter way. No, Saoirse, I'm, you know, I'm a little torn listening yeah. to you, lastly. And, and I'll yeah. tell you why I'm a little torn, because I, I hear what you say. I hear it very clearly. Mm-hmm. And you're not the first person I've spoken to to make that case very clearly and very well. On the other side, I spent... 12 to 14 years as a court reporter in the criminal courts. And mm-hmm. I saw the things that people do to one another and do to, vic- to victims. And I'm very torn that the idea of uh, com- community service for someone who's done burglary or... I'll, I'll read you a message here that's come in. That lady on air now, she's making my blood boil. Not because she's a bad person, but because she's not looking at how the victim feels. My sister died of cancer. Before she died, she was broken into. It changed her utterly, just as she should have been living life to the full. She was never the same again. The lady's talking about rehabilitation. Do you know who gets no rehabilitation? Victims. They might get a bit of counselling, but that didn't work out for one reason or another with my sister. They don't get programmes giving them life skills. They don't get breaks to help them get jobs. They get nothing. We need to get real. And that, I can tell you, is not the first comment of its kind that came in since we started to talk, Saoirse. And I can imagine, and I, you know, I think there should be more supports in place for victims because it is something, and I'm so sorry for that that woman's um, sister, that that is heartbreaking, really. Um, and I completely understand why people feel like that. And I think this is something that we need to talk more about. I think we need to talk about, you know, victims but also you know are there are there better ways to resolve these issues like are there what, what supports are put in place for victims but again I'm not the expert on that in terms of the work that we do um but what you know I think you know, you know you're talking there PJ about like being down in the courts and seeing that side of things and yeah I think like people going out the door really need to just smirking after getting a suspe- when people get a yep. suspended sentence they go out the door with big well, we need to talk face. about we need to talk about sentencing and sentencing needs to be proportionate to the crime committed and we you know the, there is a sentencing um guidelines committee put in place now and they should be you know they're meant to be putting in place guidelines for judges around sentencing okay. but sentencing is not just about the punishment element it has to have all those other elements and what i would say just on the short sentences and people going in um for for the less serious offences. I know if somebody is the victim of a crime, nothing feels less serious. But at the same time, those people, I think we we need to look at what's happening to them because if they're in for such a short time that they're not getting, they're not able to engage in education or any of that, then, you know, we really need to think about 
how we can better yeah. support them to not reoffend again, to understand what they have done and to ensure that they are supported to turn away from what they've done in the past. And they're never going to feel minded. And here's the thing where I'm coming back on track with you. They're never going to feel minded to learn about their mistakes and rectify their mistakes if they're sleeping on the floor. No, and, you know, in fairness, the Irish Prison Service have to take whoever they, is sent to them. If, if you're given a custodial sentence, they have to make room for you. Um, but creating more prison spaces isn't the answer. Um, you know, we need to look at it in the round. We look, need to look at the policy. We need to implement the policy that's there. And we need judges to understand that, you know, community sanctions are a viable alternative to sending people to prison and that they, in the longer run, we can actually, you know, change the dial on this, that we can stop people reoffending, that we can stop so many people going to our prisons in the first place and ultimately have safer communities where people commit less crime. Okay. Saoirse, it's interesting. Thank you very much. Saoirse Brady is the Executive Director of the Irish Penal Reform Trust. Talking absolute sense from one side of the argument. I can't disagree with her in many ways. And then in other ways, I find myself disagreeing with her. I don't know. Your, your thoughts very welcome. 0818 96, 96 96 Dan was listening to Saoirse and would like to respond. I'll speak to you next, Dan. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Quartz 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Come back to Dan there and just to take. He wants to address some of the points that Saoirse was making from the Penal Reform Trust. Uh, just hold on for me there, Dan. But two crime stories uh, that grab you in the news. One is that bizarre one. And every time there's a new development, it gets even stranger. This guy with the passports from dead babies from the 1950s, who the guards still have no idea who he is. We now learned in the latest episode in court yesterday that he's been using two names of two babies who died in the 50s and he had passports in both their names, one of them of which was renewed at one point or other. He's before the district court. He's 70 years of age. He speaks with an American accent. The guards haven't the foggiest notion who he actually is. Bizarre story and it's ongoing. And then there's this one this morning in The Independent. Good police work here. An undertaker is at the centre of a major investigation now uh, amid allegations that he stole cash from dead people when he was preparing their bodies for the funeral or taking their bodies from their homes. This happened in Dublin. And the Irish Independent revealed this story this morning. There was a sting operation where guards planted money, marked notes. They planted it around 
dead people while your man was collecting them. And afterwards they searched him. They found the marked notes on him. Fascinating story. We'll see how that one plays out. But Dan, now you were listening to Saoirse from the Penal Reform Trust. Her point is, one of the points she makes is that nobody should have to sleep on a floor on a mattress just because they committed a crime. Good morning to you, Dan. What would you want to say? Good morning, KJ. I would have uh, serious concerns about anybody thinking like that based on my experience. We had a very aggravated burglary in our house three years ago this month. Okay. And the perpetrator, um, who eventually, by the way, was, was caught uh, robbing another house and again, uh, abusively, uh, locally, and is, uh, has ended up in, in prison. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't give a damn what he is sleeping on, if he's sleeping at all, because I know for a fact that my wife isn't sleeping and hasn't been for three years. My grandkids, who happened to be in the house that night when the burglary took place, and when he came up to our bedroom and took my wife's phone from our bedside locker and we were asleep in the bed, and they will never again stay in our house. My wife, who has had, as a result, some mental issues, will never, ever again stay in the house alone. Mm. And it's, you know, I'm just one of the people who suffered like this and uh, due to um, a non-national uh, coming into my home and, uh, and stealing but more importantly, and forget what he stole, it's the damage and the trauma that mm-hmm. he's left behind him. Mm-hmm. So am I worried about him if he's not sleeping, if he, has, if he even doesn't have a mattress? I absolutely am not. I'm more worried about my wife and my, and my grandkids. And by the way, also, all the other people in a similar position to me yeah. who have been a victim of abuse like this. And this was abuse of the highest order. Saoirse's point, I think, is that she doesn't want to take for a split second from what you went through or your wife went through and are still going through. But her belief is that that person is punished by the deprivation of the liberty, the fact that they have to go and spend time behind bars. But there's a courtier, TJ, that, and, and to Saoirse, that I in a very, very lucky position today that I didn't wake that, that morning uh, during the robbery because I wouldn't be alive. From what the police told me, that these people, they will do anything rather than get, get into prison. And that, if that meant, uh, you know, assaulting me and possibly killing me, then that, that's their modus operandi. Yeah. So I, I have to live with that now for the rest of my life. My wife has to live with it for the rest of our lives. Our grandkids who just won't stay in our home. What age are they, Dan? They're now uh, 10 and 8. How older were they when it happened? Well, three years ago. Okay. So seven and, and they, five. He, oh, were they there at the time? This guy, this guy went into their rooms as well because his footprints and the leaves that he brought from outside the house were... Uh, in, in their bedrooms as well. So can you imagine if one of my grandkids had woken up and the, and, and the fright and the trauma, they're already traumatised by this, but can you imagine if they had actually seen him in operation? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, they, they, this, uh, 
look, I, I, I'm I'm uh, a very liberal person, and I'm I'm all for for charity and everything else. But I can tell you, when it comes to people going into entering people's homes, you know, I'm 75 years of age, PJ, right? I can do without this. Yeah, I can do without that hassle at, at my age. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, personally, I'm fine. But mm. my wife isn't fine. My grandkids aren't fine. And yeah. as a result, that has an impact on me. I was ha- has your wife had any help? Um, she did, initially, from a very nice lady uh, from the police, a lady by the name of Sally. Sally Hanlon? I, I, I can't remember. From Support Sally After Crime? Support After Crime. That's Sally. She, she was, yeah, she was excellent. Um, but that you know that was, that's not a long term solution either. You know it yeah. certainly helped my wife get over the trauma, the initial trauma and the initial shock of this. But it hasn't had any um, serious improvement on the long term effect. I was away in Bordeaux myself last week for for a week, and I had to have somebody in my house every night, either one of my kids or my wife's sisters or whatever, because she cannot and uh, you know and very justifiably, would not sleep in the house on her own. And before this happened, Dan, was she a woman who's a or Was she very independent like that? Absolutely, 100%. I, I travelled and had to travel for work reasons all over the world, and she was in in, in, home, in, in a home on our, in our home on her own, you know, for weeks and weeks on end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I can't do that anymore. No, I'm not working anymore either. I'm retired, but you know, if I want to go away for a couple of weeks, as I did last week to to Bordeaux, yeah, um, you know, I have to make very serious arrangements yeah. to, so that I'm not worried when I'm there. To, when I, you know, to um, you, you you were off. I I presume you were off for the rugby or something. And like when you when you'd call her, I to, actually, I was I was off to play golf. Oh, good man, better again, <laughs> better again. Hope you enjoyed it. Lovely part of the world over there. Love Bordeaux, but but but. You had to constantly call her, and when, like when you'd call her, would she be anxious? Well, no, most certainly, always. But you know, she, she, in fairness, uh, is very conscious that she doesn't want to interfere with me enjoying myself either. And so she's she's hiding uh, any um, fear that she, that she has, or you know, because she just doesn't want to upset me. Yeah. And you know the way um, Saoirse and others talk about reformative justice, that if the individual who did this to you and your wife and your grandchildren and invaded your home, I, I cannot possibly imagine what that must feel like anyway, was given an opportunity to sit down and, and talk to you, would you talk to him? I absolutely would. I absolutely would. would. I would have no hesitation in talking to him. What would you like to say to him, Dan? The conversation mightn't end uh, well. Like, what what would you... Okay. I would would point out to him the damage that he has done to to my life, to my wife's life, to my my grandkids' lives. And, uh, you know, all for the sake of, you know, coming up to our bedroom and we asleep in the bed and and he's stealing a, a mobile phone from my wife's locker. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not I, aggravated. What what would happen if I had woken up? Did anybody wake up? No, luckily, luckily, from what the police told us. Wow. 
we we were lucky that we didn't wake up. How did you discover it then? Did you just wake up and find... When, when, we, when we went down, we uh, got up uh, that morning at 7.30, 8 o'clock, we, um, we saw the, the window in the bathroom, downstairs bathroom, was, um, uh, was open yeah. and forced in. And that's where he or they, I'm not sure, if there was a number of them, entered. Right. And, you know, I, I get over the loss of, because they stole a lot of cash as well. Yeah. But, I get over but it's that. the invasion of your most personal space. It's, it's, it's a long-term can, damage. Can I, can I ask a, a question? Does it ever, this is going to sound, this is from someone who's never been through this, um, does it ever feel really like your place again? No, I, 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 I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. That yeah. it does because, um, I, I, as I say, from from the whole experience, I'm over that. Yeah. I'm, but and, your wife um, isn't. But my wife isn't, and my grandkids aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> and you'd have zero sympathy for if the individual who robbed you. Uh, it ha- happened to find himself sleeping on a mattress on the floor in Cork Prison. Absolutely. You have zero sympathy. Absolutely, because what I heard from the from the guardy was that he was a member of a criminal. Uh, sorry, he was uh, staying with a criminal family, and the way of paying his his B and B was uh, he went out and stole and uh, mm-hmm. and gave that, handed over the the takings to the family. Okay. The criminal family he was staying with. I got you. I got you. Listen, my regards, Dan, to your wife and to everybody else, and thank you for 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 sharing your story with us. That is the other side. That is the victim of an aggravated burglary. His wife. He said he's fine. He's fine and strong in voice and everything else. But his wife, sure as hell, ain't the same since. Afraid to stay. Won't won't stay in the house on her own. He mentioned uh, Sally Hanlon from Support After Crime Services. We'll chat with Sally after the 11 o'clock news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Interesting that we will be, Ireland will be co-hosts of Euro 2028. <laughs> it might be about the only way we're going to qualify given the state of Irish men's soccer these days. I I don't wish to be disparaging, but look at what's in front of you. Then again, I read just there during the news that it's not a guarantee because that's five nations. England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Northern Ireland. (laughs) It can't qualify us all automatically as host nations. And then... They've been matched at the Aviva. Would they be matched at Croke Park? Could we get something down to Parquet Cueve? Probably not. Long way away, though. Long way away. Interesting news on the sports front today. 0818 96 96 96. Morning, PJ. This is going back to courts and crime. How many convictions do you have to have to get a custodial term? How does that work? 
Oh, that's a great question. A really great question. I've seen people get jailed for their first conviction or their second conviction. And I've seen people walk out of court on their 101st conviction or their 102nd conviction on a suspended sentence or the Probation Act. So I have seen it all. There isn't really... It kind of depends on the case. It kind of depends on the crime. And it kind of depends on the individual. And it kind of depends on the judge and the day. Well, thank you for that. Great question. 0818 96 96 96. Staying with what we were talking about when we spoke earlier, and we'll podcast this later, we spoke earlier with Saoirse from the Irish Prison Reform Trust. Saoirse Brady, she's their gaffer, about the fact that there are, that last count at least, there was 10 people, 10 prisoners, sleeping on the floor on mattresses in Cork Prison. And the Irish Prison Reform Trust wants something done and done pronto about prison overcrowding. And she believes that nobody should ever have to sleep on the floor of a prison cell. That prompted a call from Dan, whose wife and himself had their house broken into three years ago. And his wife is not still not the same as a result of that experience. And he doesn't care where that person sleeps. In fact, he doesn't even care if they sleep at all. And you can see where he's coming from. Um, Sally Hanlon from Support After Crime Services uh, joins me. And that's a perfectly understandable view that Dan has, isn't it, Sally? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Perfectly, perfectly uh, reasonable uh, feelings he has because he has suffered and his family have suffered crime and over a three-year period. So you could say they've had a three-year sentence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and serving it and continue to serve it. In relation, I think everybody is entitled to be treated humanely. Mm. And I know the prisons are overcrowded, but I would love to know, out of those 10 prisoners, how many are repeat offenders? Yeah. And I suppose if you do the crime, you do the time. You take the consequences, because they leave the consequences in their trail to the victims they have committed crimes on. Now, I, I do believe we're not anti-offender, but we are pro-victim. So my advice is for the victim, the more sincere is for the offenders. And I can see there's, there's two sides. And, you know, uh, 10 people in sleeping on floors, not right, but I suppose they have no place to put them. It shows the amount of crime and the yeah. amount of offences. Yeah. And like that, as you said there, not everybody gets prison. There, I don't know what the criteria is that you get a custodial sentence because a lot of times you see them coming out of the court and they're laughing and joking as if they were at a play. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I've seen that. You've seen it. And joking as to know what solicitor they got on free legal aid and how often do they have to offend to be put back on free legal aid or avail of it again. So there's many unanswered questions in the justice system. Mm. Now, Saoirse from the Prison Penal Reform Trust would argue that if you don't treat people properly inside the prison, uh-huh. the chances of them offending again when they get out are higher. That's what she would say the research says. Well, I, I maybe, maybe I'd agree with that to a certain extent, but 
if they're in prison and it affects their life and they're upset by the fact they're incarcerated, well then, should they not think when they come out, we will not offend again? Yeah. You know, I mean, we can't take them by the hand and we can't just listen to every argument that's for crime. We have to look at the people who are bereft and distraught yeah. after crime. Like Dan, his, like his Dan wife. and his family. His wife won't stay alone in their house. So she just their won't. houses, that, that's, that's their, their family and their home disrupted yeah. at the hands of, of somebody who made a decision to go into their home in the middle of the night and destroy their home. Yeah. Destroy their lives. So, again, we have to look at reasonable. I'd love a good review. And obviously, um, I watched that program, I don't know if you saw it, where the GA stars went in to Mount Joy. I saw bits of it, yeah. Now, I like that. Because some worked with the program and certainly benefited from it. Others fell aside or backed out. Um, But it did show that once there was an involvement and they were treated as kind of equals, yeah. or, you know, that they, they rode along with it. I did like that program. Yeah, yeah. And it did show that, I suppose, everybody's entitled to respect. Yeah, yeah. But they must also give respect. Yeah, and look, we've I've had enough conversations on this program with, like, you know, James and Timmy from the two Norries and others, Willa White is a former prisoner and an actor and all those kinds of uh-huh. comedians and stuff. I've spoken to people who've done time and, and you know, doing time is not what anybody wants to do. No. Now, and it's not kind of as simple as you or me saying, well, don't do the crime if you don't want to do the time. Because uh-huh. if you're raised in a world where that's all that's there for you as a future, you're going to grab it. And there is no uh, guidance to say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in lots of cases. Like, anybody can make a mistake. Yeah. And I do believe in, in people getting a chance. A chance and a second chance. And maybe a third chance. But after that, call it a day. Yeah. You know, because anybody, any of us can make a mistake in our lives. Indeed. And if we do, and we regret it, and we learn from it, well, that's grand. Mm. But not, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be repeating myself, but we're here beside the courthouse. Yeah. And you are seeing the same people yeah. going in and out, in and out, laughing and joking and all the rest of it. Well, Sally, in my time doing the criminal courts, and you know I did them for a lot of years, yeah. I would get the list before the session would open right. and I would nearly could take bets with you as to what names would be on the list right. every single time. So I know what you mean. Yeah. But that to me is a mockery of it. You know, because for for there, there's no fear. Yeah. That's the word I'd use, I'd say. No fear of, oh my God, I'm going into court today. What's going to happen? I mean, no later than yesterday, we had three uh, different uh, individuals here who are going into court as victims. Yes. And the fear that's within their bodies and within their minds of going into court. Yeah. And they've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And to me, that's like, when, when does it stop? 
Do the judges have to give harsher? Do they give more probation? Do they do whatever? Do they build a bigger prison? Yeah. I don't know. Well, the IPRT would say that prison should be a last resort. Yes. Well, I heard that just on the radio, yeah. What would you think of that? Well, what do they do in the meantime? How do they compensate or make up to the victim the harm they've caused? Yeah. That's what I'd like to know. Listening to Dan there talking about his wife, and I think he mentioned your name that you may have you, you may have been familiar with him a number of years ago, and you deal with so many people, Sally. I wouldn't expect you to remember, but you were saying his wife should reach out. There is help there. There is counselling there. Well, if she's still suffering from post traumatic stress, uh, three years on, she does need a deeper counselling. Yeah. Because when when post traumatic stress becomes excessive and prolonged then you're, you're, you do need to resolve that. Yeah. And if Dan is listening, Dan, please contact us again. And we'll do whatever we can. We're not psychotherapists, but we will help you in any way we can, and your wife. That's very kind and generous of you, Sally. Not at all. That's what we're here for. All right. We'll talk again. The great Sally Hanlon of Support After Crime Services. Uh, she's doing that a long, long time. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on the phone. It's not the way you're brought up. Some people might have very poor parents, but there's loads of other influences. We've never had more media, more schooling, more intervention. The crime is going up compared to when we had a fraction of these things. Yeah, you can't be on both sides of the debate. Yeah. I don't know where I am, truthfully, myself. I don't know where I am. You know, I, I, I don't. Um, thankfully, thankfully, I have never been, or my family has never been the victim of a serious crime. So I can't be on, on Dan's side. I can't experience what Dan's experienced. You don't know, do you? You really don't know. But I saw them go through the courts. And that's truthful with regard to, to Sally. Um, when I was in the newsroom for years, I would go to all of the criminal court sittings and they sit for maybe six to seven weeks a few times a year. And those of us who are going to be going in and taking residence as it was in the court then for the few weeks, you'd get the list of what was coming up and who was coming up. And you could take that list and say, ah, <laughs> your man is back, or she's back, or, ah, oh, look at them, they're always here. It was like, it was like a list of regulars in a nightclub. See, the same faces coming before the courts time and time and time again. And brings me back to the comment I read out of the news. How many convictions do you have to have for a custodial, for a custodial term? There's absolutely no slide rule there. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Your thoughts are very very welcome. Because I genuinely have no idea. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing. Focus solely on your hearing health for over thirty five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Uh, what would listeners feel about bringing back corporal punishment? You want? You mean in school? Or for criminals, it'd like bring back the birch 
of the cat and nine tails for certain offences? Don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I'd be lost to answer that question. Somebody will, though. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there is a chronic shortage of foster carers out there. This is not something you would know unless you've a connection or an interest or a reason to know, shall we say. But there is a chronic shortage of foster carers. There are kids who need to be in foster care, but there are no families to give them a foster home. Uh, Ethna Larkin is marketing and recruitment lead with Origin Foster Care, which is a private provider. And there is a chronic shortage, isn't there, Ethna? Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Indeed, sadly, there is a, a, short, a chronic shortage of foster carers throughout the whole country. Um at the moment. So we are appealing um, in particular, I suppose, this morning to your listeners in the Cork and the general Cork area. If they have ever considered or would be open to exploring becoming a foster carer or foster family to reach out and get in touch with us. Yeah. You yourself are a carer for 22 years. How did you get involved in it and why? Um. Yeah, we've been foster carers um, for a long time now. Um, we originally, <laughs> we saw just an ad in our local uh, church bulletin, actually, mm-hmm. uh, that they were really short of foster carers. And we had a chat about it and we explored it a little further. And yeah, I suppose a few months down the road, we were foster carers. Uh, I myself grew up, we weren't actually, my family weren't foster carers, but we did have um, two cousins live with us whose parents had died very young. Mm. Um, so I suppose in modern terms now we would be called relative foster carers, but it wasn't an official arrangement. So I suppose I had a little insight into what it was like for children coming to live in somebody else's home, even though in our case we were relatives. But it's still, you know, a huge jump and very traumatic. Relative fostering is, is one <laughs> area. But foster families, there's both the public system and there's the private system and you were the, the private system. Like For someone who wanted to get involved in fostering supposing, like who can be a foster carer, Ethna? Yes, um, that's a really good question. I suppose it's not everyone that can be a foster carer. There's essential criteria, first of all, that um, an individual or a family must meet. So the first one is uh, you must have a spare room. Um, when children are taken into care and they come to live with you, They need a spare room just so that they have their own private space, uh, a safe space, and that they can go there kind of just to, I suppose, when they need time on their own and to reconcile their new circumstances. So that is one of the most essential criteria. Mm. We need foster carers to be able to drive. Now, we do look at, you know, people who live in big cities with really good transport systems, uh, we look at their individual circumstances. Um, but, you know, foster carers do have to bring children in their care to, I suppose, additional appointments, you know, therapeutic appointments, meeting professionals um, and also meeting with birth family. And the birth family may not always be, you know, on a bus or a train route. So being able to get the child that you're caring for to, to these meetings is hugely important. Um, is it preferable to have other children of your own or would someone who no, has no children be fostered? 
you're fostering? Yeah, we have lots of foster carers um, who don't have children. Uh, we have lots of foster carers whose children have grown up and moved out of the home and they now have the space, number one. But I suppose what's even more important is they have the time and the flexibility to meet the needs of a child coming into care. Um, and that is a big part of what we look at through the assessment process is what kind of time do you have and how flexible mm. um, are you? You know, some people work and for months they have flexibility. Uh, you know, we, we look at that and we can work around it. Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the things that foster carers need to be able to deal with is I suppose just accepting the unknown and dealing with uncertainty because that's a huge part of fostering. Yeah. You know, when children are taken into care, we don't know everything. We don't know the full history. So there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, and then, you know, plans are changing. Um, you know, there may be a plan to mi- visit maybe with a birth family and something happens and it yeah. changes. So you certainly need to be able to do, de- you don't know how the child is going to react. Uh, you might have a day out planned and then suddenly maybe they decide they don't want to go. Yeah. So you certainly need to be able to deal with just things not going to plan. I would su- suspect that you're dealing with children a lot of the time, who've come from difficulty. Because if they weren't coming from difficulty, yes. they wouldn't need a foster placement in the first place. And as we know, uh, to quote the great Dr. Chris Luke, who was the first I heard to use these words, difficulty makes people difficult. So you may have difficult children. Fostering foster uh, children can be difficult children at times. Um, yes, I wouldn't exactly use the term difficult children, but certainly they are children who have troubled. experienced trauma. They're troubled. Um, and sometimes their behaviours are reactions to the trauma. Yes, that's what um, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the behaviour, the reaction to that trauma can certainly come out in difficult behaviours. And a lot that is a lot of what we do here in Origins is that we support and train our foster carers to deal with that trauma. And research shows us that, you know, a good, secure, safe foster placement, it cannot remove the trauma the child has experienced, but it can certainly help the child to repair from having experienced that trauma. You must have some... But any child who comes into care has it, even regardless as to how difficult the background is, just being taken away from your parents and your family and everything you know, and coming to live with a different family is trauma. So yes, every foster parent is dealing with trauma. You must have seen a lot in your own 22 years fostering. Um, is it rewarding? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it is challenging, without a doubt. Um, we've had lots of uh, sleepless nights, lots of worries, lots of, I guess, stress that we might not have ever thought would be part of our lives. Um, but on reflection, it's hugely rewarding. And sometimes it's just the small little things uh, that are really rewarding. Like it what? might be, you know, it might be just a child actually feeling safe, uh, maybe a child actually relaxing where they can sit beside you on the couch maybe and watch a movie. It might be a child sleeping the whole night long. Um, you know, it might be as simple as a child actually feeling comfortable enough to maybe go and actually open the fridge and take out their own dinner or um, all kinds of small little things. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, we had we had one little boy here, and on his first Christmas, he didn't want to go to sleep because he said it was the best day of his life. Wow! Um, and I thought, you know, small little things like that will get you through 
the dark days. Um, and I suppose the important thing for foster care is to remember is that you're not alone. You know, here at Origins, we have a 24-hour support line, and that line is manned by our professional senior social workers. So even if you have a crisis, you know, on a Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning, there is somebody at the end of the phone, it's not just a call line. Oh, really? Um, who can help you, okay. you know, and reass- sometimes it's just reassurance you need that whatever decision you've made is the right decision. Mm. Um, okay, teenager, teenagers are not, you know, it's, it's not beyond them to storm out of the house in a huff at one in the morning. Oh, indeed, it's not, no. Um, you know, or children may not come home when they're supposed to. Um, and that's why the support is there for you. I so see. that you realise that you're you're not you're not alone and you know, the social worker would just talk you through the next steps and just be there as a about you know, somebody to listen to. Yeah. The approval process it, it is it arduous? It is. Um and I think it needs to be. At the end of the day, we are placing somebody else's child in your care. Um, And that's a huge responsibility. So we need to make sure that the people that we have as foster carers are the very best people that can be. So the assessment process takes somewhere around four uh, four to five months. Mm. It involves guard the vetting, uh, police checks for any country you've lived in for more than six months, personal references, um, area checks for any area that you've lived in and to see if you're known to social services. And then the assessment process itself is, um, some people use the word invasive, uh, it's thorough, mm. it explores, you know, how you were parented, how you parent if you are a parent, mm-hmm. um, it explores, you know, how you might react to stress. But you know what I say to people, foster carers only do this once and it's five months at the most out of your life. There's children waiting for, for secure, safe placements. They could be waiting, you know, years for that placement. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you only go through that. And it's not that it's a horrible assessment. It might be uncomfortable. It is, you know, it does get personal. Yeah. Um, it's obviously confidential. But it's only that uncomfortable feeling for max, you know, five months, four to five months. No, it's not that you're asked to do this for nothing. There is an allowance. I have heard that one of the reasons that it's hard to get fosterers, is that that allowance hasn't been adjusted in quite some time. What do they get paid? Yes, yes. The allowance it hasn't, you're correct, you have heard it's been got a lot of media um, play. It hasn't been changed since 2009, but we have um, been in touch with the ministers. We have written to the ministers and petitioned them, and we are very hopeful that next week uh, that that allowance will be increased, that there will be something done for foster carers. Mm. Currently, the allowance for children under 12 is €325 Euro per week and for children over 12, uh, €352. Euro. And that's paid to the foster care. It's not a payment to the foster care. It is an allowance for the child uh, to meet their needs. And so that is paid when a child is in your care. So if you have a period of, you know, two weeks where you're, mm-hmm. you don't have a child with living with you, um then that allowance isn't paid. So and do you get the children's allowance on top of that the for them? Uh, it depends on the when the child is in long-term care, yes. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it is, I, I agree with you that it is maybe a deterrent for some people, but I would also say after my 21 plus years of experience, it's not, there are easier, it is not about... Yeah. Um, 
money, believe me, for all the hours. Oh, I know, I know, I know that. And do, a question straight away. The so question is the 300, say 325 euro, that mm-hmm. taxable? No, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect your uh, income. It's not, because it's not well, an income. It's not it's classed as household income. Like one thing that people no. might worry is if you have an individual in the house who's a welfare recipient and there's an extra 325 quid coming in. No. No. No, it's not. It's not taxable. It's not an income. It's an allowance for while the child is living with you. I see. I see. Um, here's a question that comes up. Can I take a foster child on holiday with my own children? Um, yes, the, the answer is yes, depending on the circumstances. Children in care, we do encourage foster carers to take them on holidays, obviously as part the same as all of the rest of their family. Um, it's just, I suppose, not as straightforward. You just need to confirm with the child social worker um, that there is permission from the birth parents to bring uh, the child that is in your care mm-hmm. on holidays with you. But yes, lots of, uh, we have always taken our children on holidays. Yeah. And, you know, we ask foster parents to include the children in care as part of their normal family activities. Mm. The, the, there was a judge, I, I won't mention his name, he's retired now, but he was very highly regarded in child law uh, circles. And he used to say that it was harder to get foster parents in a thriving economy, which is what we have right now. Is that the case? Um, it is. I suppose it is. Um, I don't know if it's a thriving economy, but I suppose the reality is historically, you know, there was one parent in the home all of yeah. the time. Yeah. So, oh, just, Sorry, I meant to parents, ask that. Does there have to be? No, there doesn't have to be. What we do is we look at how much time you have available how flexible you are. And I suppose we ask people to consider, it's just, you know, like preparing for a birth child. Um, you know, people take schedule to have, obviously, uh, mums are on maternity leave, they take time off. So we would be looking, if two parents are working, you know, can you take a week or two off when the child moves in with your family first so you can have time to help that child to settle? And then we look at your weekly schedule. How much time do you have available you know, are you available if you get a call from the school? We would look at, uh, and I suppose this is a big part of what we do in Origins, is what we call the matching process. So when we get the profile of a child coming into care or needing foster care, we look at, you know, how many appointments they may have, what therapeutic supports they need, how many visits they have with their birth family, and then we approach foster carers that we think could meet their needs. I see. And we look at that and see... um, you know, what what availability you have to meet the needs of... And every child is different. Can a single person foster Ethna? Yes, we have absolutely... We have lots of single foster carers. Um, and again, you know, what we ask single foster carers to do is t- from once they think about fostering, we just ask them to start to think about their support network. You know, they're at home on their own. Who would they call, say, at four o'clock in the morning if they have a crisis? Um if they need to take a child to hospital or if they need, say, to go to hospital themselves or they have a personal crisis. So we look at their support network and then we guide the vet their support network as well. I see, I see. But yeah, we have lots of single foster carers. If somebody was considering it based on our conversation, and by the way, we will podcast this later, if somebody was considering it based on our our, uh, conversation, what would they do? What's the first port of call? Okay, there are a number of things they can do. The first one is we actually 
have an information session online today at one o'clock. So if they're really fast, they could get in touch with me and we could have them join us today at one o'clock online. Um, failing that, they can take a look at our website, which is originsfostercare.ie. Um, and all of our details there are there. Um, or they can contact myself, reach out to myself. Uh, my number is 087-052-9749. Okay. okay. Or they can contact our Cork office, which is 021-237-3151. And we have some really um, good blogs from our existing foster carers, uh, some very short videos on our website that are really, really worth watching for okay. anybody considering uh, the impact they can have on a child's life. Because that's what it's all about is, you know, it's such foster care, while it is challenging, it is such an opportunity to really make a difference in somebody's life. Lastly, um, briefly, children with special needs, how hard is it to get foster placements for them? Actually, surprisingly enough, it's not always that difficult. Uh, sometimes we actually have people who approach us who have particular experience with special needs. They may have had their own child with special needs uh, or they may work with children with special needs. Um, and that may be their kind of niche experience. Um, and they may reach out to us. Um, okay. Yeah, so I think it's there isn't a specific, like a lot of our requests for placements at the moment, you know, are for young babies, young children. Um, we go through, you know, we have a lot of requests for teenagers. So I don't think there is a specific profile of a child that is particularly difficult to get foster carers for. I think it's just there is a general shortage, shortage of foster care. We have a lot of foster carers ageing out of the foster care uh, as well. You know, they've been foster carers for years and years and years. Uh, so that too is, you know, one of the reasons for the current shortage. Okay. Okay. Esna, we will leave it there and maybe we'll speak again. If anybody is minded to consider that they might foster a child, uh, you can contact Ethna at uh, Origin Foster Care. You can call their Cork office 021 2373-151. That's a landline. Or Ethna has been kind enough to give us a mobile number 087 087052-9749. Is it something you've done? Something you have would consider doing? Is it something you did and you'd like to tell me about what that experience was like? Or is it something that you wouldn't do in a fit? Because that's another voice, another, another view. 0818 96 96 96. With regard to crime and punishment, PJ, you all, and prisons and reform and all that, PJ, you often give an opinion on lots of things. You have to have an idea where you stand on this issue I don't understand or you don't just say it alright I've been saying I don't know and I genuinely don't because I have spoken to people on every side of this including ex-prisoners but if I had to pick a card from the deck and be on someone's actual side I think I'd have to be on Dan's side and Dan's wife's side. And if the guy who broke into them and ruined their lives, really, in what they did, if they had to sleep on a floor a couple of nights 
not too sure I care very much. Oh wait, one well, that's just me now. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. smart mouth drawing me in and you kicking me out you've got my head spinning no kidding i can't pin you down what's going on in that beautiful mind i'm on your magical mystery ride and i'm so dizzy don't know what hit me but i'll be all right my head Give your to me Legend all of me, Corks 96 FM, Premier League live back this weekend at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh. Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. Trevor and the team will have live coverage of Luton and Spurs at half 12, Man United and Brentford at 3, and Crystal Palace v Nottingham Forest at half past 5. Busy day, and of course, everything that happens at the other grounds as the scores come in. Premier League Live Online brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen, Saturday on the Corks 96 FM app or you can go to 96fm.ie. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Do you remember on Friday um, we were talking about Russell, the Jack Russell, who'd gone missing 
um, quite an elderly lad and he'd gone missing and Susan was telling us about him on Friday. He actually went missing for four days, four nights, and it was during really bad weather as well. And we were in a very rural part of southwest Cork. Um, and he went missing. Uh, we were looking everywhere. West Cork Welfare Group got out search parties of many, many people, and they were scouring the land everywhere for him. He got a fright or something, did he? He woke up in a start, and so we don't know, maybe he had a dream or something, I don't know. Mm. But he just shot off, and we eventually found him four days later after being out for four nights in the terrible wet and cold, um, up against a, a, a ruin of a on a farm, on up against a ruined wall, sitting there shaking. And I'm so grateful to the farmer, Sean Barry, who found him eventually. He was back on Friday in the bosom of his family, as it were. And I could not believe it, Susan, on Friday night when I got a message from Fergal to say that poor old Russell had gone to the dog walk in the sky. What happened to him? Yeah, sadly, um, we had to, he wasn't eating very well. We had him back for two weeks since being lost. He had days where he was picking up and some days he wasn't. So we took him to the vet. He had some blood tests that day. Uh, the, sa- the same day the vet phoned us and said the blood tests don't look good. Um, he started to get kidney and liver failure. Um, and he was really, that evening, he, he really wasn't that good at all. So we had to sadly call the vet out and have him put to sleep. Oh, no. Um, which was heartbreaking after all he'd been through. Um, well, I was sitting at home watching so the pleased. telly Friday I'm... evening and I got the message from Fergal. And I goes, oh, my God, no. Yeah. I was just, thank you. I was so pleased that at least we had him home with us for two weeks. And he, he, he got a lot of love and a lot of care and attention, as he always did. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah it was very sad but he, I've got to remember he was 17 years old and we had 17 good years with him yeah, yeah he was like he was an elderly boy you know and he was but I don't know how he survived for four days out in that weather he, he's a remarkable dog he was a, a smashing dog and he'd be very fondly remembered now I'm going to bring Angela Patmore in at this stage Angela explain to me what this award is this is the the Captain Russell Award explain well, it to me um, the dog, the dog Revolutionary Army has been going for eight years on Facebook, and it's got bigger and bigger. There's 560 animal soldiers stationed around the planet, and what they do is they struggle for dog rights um, against the tyranny of two legs. And little Russell was promoted to captain for his valour, and um, we've introduced this new medal in his honour, and every 29th of September it will be awarded to the dog soldier who's shown the most courage during that year. That's lovely. Tell me about the Dog Revolutionary Army, because Angela, it's a brand new one on me, and I'm a dog lover. I, wouldn't, I don't think a house is complete without a dog in it. Nor I, PJ. Um, it was founded by my little Parson Russell Terrier, Owen Parsnip, and um, who was a very arrogant little dog. Somebody gave him a tin hat. He was a rescue. Parson Russells have a personality all of their own. Absolutely. You could tell he was very aloof, and when he was rescued, he inspected my home to see if it was suitable. <laughs> and this tin hat somebody gave him was actually an upturned water bowl, but it was chrome, and he looked good in it. And he started issuing these proclamations on Facebook about dog rights. And it just captured the imagination of dog owners. And they signed their dog up 
to join the army. So they've got different divisions. They've got an anthem with dogs singing. And when dogs show outstanding gallantry or something, they get they get promoted. <laughs> this is the cutest thing I've ever heard. And what eventually happened to poor old Owen Parsnip? Well, he wasn't old, actually. He was, a, he was a young fella, but he survived two operations to have a spinal tumour removed, came trotting out of the veterinary hospital with his back shaved, but looking still defiant. And um, a few months later, we were on holiday in Ireland, and we were rammed by a careless driver at a roundabout. Okay. And little Owen... Uh, immediately had to undergo more surgery and for a time it looked as if he was going to get better but he didn't and he was he had to be put to sleep but what age was he your guess good as mine but he i'd <laughs> say he was about eight okay. something like that he wasn't an old dog at all no no i i have a i have a 10 and a seven-year-old or six-year-old, in their own way, once you keep an eye on their health, they're, they're young dogs. And do you guys know each other? Do you ladies know each other, Susan and Angela? Well, well we, we, we do met. now. <laughs> we do now, but we met because of the dog army, because uh, little mm. Russell and, and his, was joined up, and we got to know one another, and that's how I've met some of my best friends through that Facebook site. I know and everybody... We, incidentally, we, we have actually met yeah. in person as well, haven't we, Angela? Have. Yes, we've met in person in my mm. old Essex, where I used to live, um, but... I think that um, I, I got friendly with with Sue and and George because um, because of the army and because of our mutual love of dogs and my little Owen, because he died in that way, the insurance company weren't going to pay for his vet bills. They were going to pay for my injuries, but they were not willing to pay for him because in law a dog is a chattel. So I took them to court. It took four years, but we got the judgment in March. The judge said, well, it may be a chattel in law, but a dog is a member of the family. And this is the tyranny of two legs that you talk about. So this award will be presented every September 29th in memory of, of a Little Russell. Yes, he was already the holder of the Bone Star for Valor, but he was a very, very brave dog. <laughs> And um, we want everybody to remember him always. And if you look at Owen Parsnip's site, you can see there's a tribute to fallen soldiers. Anyone that we lose, everybody grieves over it, him or her. We love them. The Bone Star. And if any, I was going to say, if anyone's interested, look at the Facebook page called Owen Parsnip and you'll see all about the Dogs Revolutionary Army. Ladies, <laughs> this is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Thank you. This is so sweet. My God, I I tell you something now. That army's going to have a load of recruits once they find a Facebook page because there's people will be photographing their doggos and sending them into you all over Cork. So, oh, well, that would be wonderful. So. We'd love to have a big Irish group. <laughs> where can so where can this, just look up Dog Revolutionary Army? Is it? Well, just look just up look Owen Parsnip Facebook page. Owen Parsnip. And he will come up in his in his helmet. And little, the one that's running at the moment, Colonel Ned Pepper, 
is a little mongrel, but he's he's not got the arrogance of Owen Parsnip, but it's, the army is still strong. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. This is Owen. And that's the new Supreme Leader. <laughs> <laughs> this is Owen with O-W-E-N. Ladies, it's just the cutest thing ever, and we're so sorry to hear of Russell's passing uh, last weekend, but he is um, revolutionised, or remembered forever, in an award to be presented the Dog Revolutionary Army. Isn't that just that? Listen, lads, that has made my day. Made my day. Hope it made yours too. Quickly, before we go. Most people are born into a society where nothing else is available to them except crime. So that, it has to be addressed at that level. The late, great Veronica Gearin, well-spotted Sarah Connolly. That's it for today. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM.